welcome to another episode of We're Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I will be your host for today, which I don't know what day it is anymore. Um, joining me today because it's long overdue is uh, is Emma Larkins, and Emma Larkins knows an awful lot about board games and design and just lots of stuff, which we're going to talk about, and uh, they are going to regale us with all their knowledge and their information and also what they've been up to. So, hello Emma, how are you? Hi, I'm doing fantastic today. Oh yeah, well, that's good to hear. That is good to hear. Um, you're just back from PAX, you were saying. So, yeah. um, is that quite local to you or did you have to travel quite a distance to do that? Uh, yeah, it's about, uh, let's see, one, two, like seven blocks away. <laughs> yeah, we're in uh downtown Seattle, so it's it's nicely close. I thought you were gonna kinda like say after I had to take like a seven hour flight and then I had to stay over and stuff like that, but basically you're like where everybody's kinda queuing up for stuff, you're kinda like, Right, I'm going home for lunch and oh, yeah. I'll be oh, back yeah. in an hour kind of thing. Well Accurate. you all know the Well, yeah, you know the kind of the um Conference food prices at these things are usually like as much as a ticket to get in. Oh, They're fairly yeah. kind of astronomical. Yeah. Um, obviously, what we're going to do is we're going to find out um, a little bit more about your good self to kind of, um, I guess we should say hello to all the good people out there and just say thank you for joining us. And the reason that we're doing this is because we're cruising towards episode 200 i don't know when it's happened it might have happened already um, <laughs> but we are continuing our ongoing voyage to um no that's star trek sorry um <laughs> just to talk to as many people as possible um so you want to start off by telling us a little bit about how you got kind of into the hobby to begin with yeah absolutely i i came at it kind of backwards i suppose mm-hmm. um in the, the the modern times, I guess I would say, like in the before times, long, mm-hmm. long ago, I've always kind of been interested in uh, games and play and stories and those kind of things. Um, I used to make up choose-your-own-adventure stories for my sibli- siblings during long car drives, mm-hmm. um, did a little bit of like modding and StarCraft and like dabbling in like here and there, but I think I would say I really came at it with a vengeance uh, when I was living in New York City, and I was actually doing a Kickstarter for my science fiction novel. All right. So uh, as I was doing that, I started to reach out to other groups that were kind of known for having a lot of people doing Kickstarters, Uh and one of those was the New York City Games Forum, because, you know, a lot of people, especially, oh, wow, this is... Six years ago, six or seven years ago, yeah. Especially in that yeah. time, a lot of people were doing digital game Kickstarters. So I, I reached out to the group and found out, like, I, I did a talk there and then found out it was actually a really cool group of people. And through a series of fortunate events, uh, I actually ended up being the community manager for that group in New York City. So before I even really became serious about making games, I was running a group of people, um, amazing developers. New York City has an amazing game development scene. Um, so 
Did you plug it? (laughs) Did you plug it then? (laughs) Did you kind of give me a second? Let me check Google, kind of thing. (laughs) For stuff. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what kind of strategy do you like in Catan? Um, Let me just check what Catan is. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so yeah. So, and that was more digital development. Um, And then. I actually met um, Phil, who's my fiance now, through, like, we were both in the same co-working space, and he was a tabletop game designer, mm-hmm. All right. and we were, like, going to these game design events together um, before we started dating, and so he kind of pulled me more into the tabletop side, and honestly, I, yeah, Catan, right? Like, I had played <laughs> Catan in college, but really, like modern games i hadn't done a lot like i meet so many people in the tabletop industry who are just like you know hundreds of new games played every single year and yeah very much when i started i was like <laughs> I, I played like <laughs> munchkin and flux and stuff in that in my kind of year of discovery and i was like oh wow so this is like what modern games are like <laughs> <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with that you, you know you can play yeah. you kind of play what you can and you enjoy what you can and yeah. there's always a little bit of you see it now and again a little bit of snobbery yeah. from some people about kind of what they should be playing and what they shouldn't be playing and it's like well play what you like yeah and if you have fun i mean i occasionally crack open a copy of love letter yeah. just to you know just to look at it and then put it away and play something else but <laughs> the same Mm. Well, there's so many variations and flavors. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like Heinz, fifty-seven different varieties yeah. of of kind of love, love letter. Yeah. But I mean, was that? Did you kind of like grow from there then? Was and did you were you like going well flux and then Munchkin and then people? You know, Phil was obviously introducing you to more and more stuff, and you're discovering your kind of more stuff yourself then. Um, kind of. I guess like he he had a lot of tabletop games uh we, we like to call it our wall of shame now oh, right. still... <laughs> and he he would back a lot of the kickstarters uh back in the day especially for the red raven ryan lockett games mm-hmm. okay. um and so uh, especially you know we we're starting to get to know each other and like all these board games on the shelf like we usually wouldn't play them honestly we did more uh digital gaming back in the day than tabletop gaming but they were there i could see them and look at them in the shelf and be like oh i wonder what those are like but That's, uh honestly you but you didn't get you didn't get a shot you didn't well get okay to play. we we did though so we we eventually like uh started to delve into them and one mm-hmm. of the first ones we did was city of iron by right, okay. ryan lockett so yeah. i went from you know flux munchkin skull those kind of things to city of iron and it was like that was my um uh, what's the right term in the board game world like my awakening my kind of like aha moment because the game took us like three and a half or four hours like it's it's probably not the heaviest but the heaviest i'd ever played um, that, isn't that and, like, isn't that kind of like, you know, learning how to jump three feet in the air and then somebody taking you to the side of the cliff and saying, right, now all you got to do is flap your arms and fly kind of thing. Yes, I, yeah. I, I had no idea. I had no idea what it would 
be like and then and then we were just sitting down and afterwards I couldn't move <laughs> I couldn't like think I, I felt like I had melted and I was like I think I kind of like it <laughs> right and that's what it is when you get when you have that like heavier table talk experience either you hate it right and you're like i'm never gonna do that again or you're like i think everything my brain hurts but i think in a good way (laughs) it's kind of like that whole um getting away from having like one mechanic kind of thing that you gotta concentrate Mm. on and one set of rules and then people are saying well you then have to get used to kind of like, well, if this happens, then this can happen. And if this happens, then potentially this can happen. But in five moves, this is definitely going to happen or yeah. it's not going to happen at all kind of thing. And it's going to like, your mind kind of goes, I didn't even know this was possible. Especially when you see like a, what you think is like a messy kind of board game. And you're the one I'm talking about. It's got cards everywhere. There's like oh yeah, this counters is, yeah. everywhere. And, and you're just like going, there's, I am never ever going to understand in a month of Mondays how this is ever going to work and then like say 10 minutes later you're you know kind of thinking about how you can rewrite the rule book to introduce <laughs> kind of <laughs> your own set of mechanics oh my gosh yeah kind of thing. so from there did you start to kind of were you building up your own collection or did it become a joint collection you're playing kind of digital so what were you console gaming or pc gaming or were you just playing tabletop simulation stuff uh yeah mostly pc gaming uh because i I came again playing as a kid like we had Mm. (laughs) we had the the classics you know probably had monopoly and other stuff Uh Uh, but we we got into digital games my dad was a software developer so we actually had a computer like way way back in the day um and we could play things like uh, Commander Keen, Cosmos, Cosmic Adventures, Simant, those kinds of things. Yeah. And after that, the the Blizzard games. Like my my brother would bring home uh, Warcraft, Starcraft, and those RTSs. Oh. I just like <laughs> laser focus glommed onto them. Like that that was really my intro into <laughs> to gaming. <laughs> so was that you, like a an RTS type person then? Kind of real time strategy. Was that kind of like your bag? Yeah, I think it was, um, and that was probably because that was what I had access to at the moment, Uh but this feeling, and back then too, it was, uh, it was all against the computer, right? So it was, it was a puzzle you could solve. Like the computer was always going to send out certain types of units in a certain order and you could figure out what was happening. It was a very complex puzzle and you were also like building building mm-hmm. up things and systems. I think like systems is really like managing this complex interweaving system of systems where like things are building and you have to like come over here and like look over here and it really like fires all of your neurons at the same time pretty much. I remember seeing um June for the first time, which was an old, old kind of real time strategy game and having my mind completely blown by mm. Because it wasn't kind of, um, it was different to any kind of action game I was playing. And I was like, well, I need to do this. And it's like, well, you can't do this because you've got to build this first. And if you build this, then you can build that. And then you can upgrade stuff. And I was like going, wow, this is like SimCity, but fun. Yeah. Um, and I'm <laughs> yes. talking about SimCity kind of in the day when it was pretty, pretty bad. But, <laughs> hmm. you know. Right. Um, <clears throat> so 
the game groups. So you're starting to get, you know, you're starting to kind of run and kind of organize these game groups. Yeah. Then, not, I mean, you're obviously, you're naturally kind of like pouring into kind of playing more games and more and yeah. more games. So where do you take the switch? I mean, obviously you said, you mentioned you wrote a book. So quick mm. aside, what was the book about? <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, the, it's called Mechalarum. Uh, it's right. about, uh, let me get the, the pitch out of the back <laughs> of my brain. Uh, strong heroine Kielin risks slow death for the power of biomechanical flight. So it's kind of this, um, and this is weird. I mean, this is before really the Iron Man movies and everything. So this, mm-hmm. uh, she's in a, uh, this like biological flying suit mm-hmm. and in this society, like the whole planet has been like decimated by aliens uh and this small core society is left to to fight back against them under this sandstorm and they're like hiding out there uh and it's a very like militaristic strict society and then um over time like really right in the beginning is when uh keelan starts to realize everything she's grown up with maybe isn't exactly reality and you know Mm -hmm. kind of this hero's journey thing of like being uh, expelled from this society and having to relearn and figure out like the meaning of your life was it fun to kind of put together or was it a challenge or i mean people always say like these things you either kind of like you end up writing kind of like for ages and ages and ages and like yeah scrapping stuff and then 50 percent of kind of what you do you scrap straight away and then 15 percent you kind of rewrite until it's death and then you end up rewriting that again until you sometimes have something that you can say, well, I'm proud of, but you have to give it to somebody else to read because otherwise you'll keep changing it and changing it because I've kind of been there. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. And I kept track. I would have to double-check on, on my stats, but I think I like every time I got rid of words, I copied-pasted them into another document, yeah. and I think it was like 150 or 160,000 words that I got rid of. <laughs> wow. So that there's like a whole book's worth of words and then just this whole other like two books worth of stuff that is just gone. So it's like a director's cut. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, it was so bad. Oh, gosh. It was especially my first version of the book because I was like I'd written the first draft and then I was working for this uh, startup tech company that was interested in Kickstarters. And so I was like, well, I got this book like I could like kickstart that and they're like sure you know we'll like we'll support you and kind of help you do the kickstarter you'll learn about it and then we could move into that space so i like did the kickstarter everything and then like went back and i was like oh gosh this is so bad it was like she was a princess like she was literally a a princess of this like uh patriarchal society and then tech and stuff and it's just like no so, yeah, there's not the director's cut, like the trash can. Like, all of that is <laughs> in the trash and should never, ever be looked at by anyone. Do you ever, you ever read it again? <laughs> yeah, okay. Do I, do I read it? Yeah. Um, I haven't in a while, but I've, like, I, I like to refer to it. Or if people are like, oh, I don't know if I can can write, you know, my first draft is so bad. I'm like, I'll, I'll pull it out. I'll, like show be like this was what i did and it became a a self-published book so like 
it can't be worse <laughs> than this. <laughs> and um, the design inside of things. I mean, I mean, how do you how do you go from the? I mean, how do you go from? Was it has he always been creative? And I mean, was designing kind of like the next step? Then <laughs> uh, it's actually a cute and very dorky story. Okay. So uh, my so Phil my boyfriend and now fiance we I think it was a yeah after about less than a year of dating it was coming up on Valentine's Day mm-hmm. and he's also a tabletop game designer and like has been since we met so that's part of what mm-hmm. we would talk about is his game he was working on so I was like I'd never made tabletop game like I'm gonna make him a board game for Valentine's Day wow and uh, I'll have to show you pictures sometimes. It's literally what you'd expect. Like uh, construction paper cards with like cut out hearts mm-hmm. on them, like glued together. Like your typical grade school uh, Valentine's Day card. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, a game. And this idea of like a two-player game of secrets and deception. So great for a budding relationship. <laughs> uh <laughs> And this idea of, like, some of the cards were face up, and there was two fields, and you'd, like, put secrets face down and kind of move the stuff around. Mm-hmm. So I, I gave like, him... Sorry, was, was that... It like, was it like Fog of Love, then? <laughs> oh, uh... I don't... No, not really. I mean, it wasn't... <laughs> it was very mechanical. It was, right. like, not story or anything like that. Um, so I, I gave him this adorable, dorky present... And and he loved it, and we played it, and he's like, so this is actually uh, pretty good. <laughs> you should do something with it. If you don't do anything with it, I'm going to do something with it, because this is good. And, of course, I'm like, oh, you're so cute. Like, that's nice. Like, yeah. building up my ego. He's like, no, I, I wouldn't say that. Like, if it was bad, I would tell you. Like, I would trash your first game if it was terrible. But, no, this is actually decent. Wow. Did yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. Because you were like, going, oh, um, I'm just hoping that you, something that we play maybe once or twice and then. Yeah. Kind of like, that's it, then it's gone. And then we can always open it up next year and have a chuckle about it. And then you're getting told, no, you actually need to do something with this. And you're just like, um, do I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're taking me. I didn't realize we were going down in this direction in our relationship already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's very encouraging of you. Did it? Yeah. Um, did it become something then? Did you make uh, it into something? Uh, yeah, I, I did. I, of course, then, you know, people are like, oh, your first game, and mm. it's like, oh, you made this game, and then it just all of a sudden published, and there was very much like a ton of uh, work and development that went in after that. It was like, oh, this is a pretty good game, and then. I immediately hopped into the the playtesting funnel slash meat grinder, um, and Ow. New York's <laughs> New York City has a great community of tabletop game designers, mm-hmm. and so I started going to events and testing it, even going to conventions. I took the game to uh, Boston Festival of Indie Games, and, and really um, put it through the ringer, trying to to work on it and test it. See, when you're testing something, is it difficult to be like, um, 
I, I don't know if if you get it, people like philosophically saying that yeah, right, this is this is good fun and stuff like that. Was there hmm. a lot of nerves when you're putting it in front of somebody for the first time that hadn't kind of played it? Um, were you kind of thinking, well, are, are they just going to be kind or are they going to be kind of dismissive? I'm guessing it's a pretty kind of nervous time. I mean, it must have been similar when you were putting the book in front of people as well, I guess. Um, was it kind of got a bit? Was it kind of strange to kind of like say, you know, something that you'd obviously made hmm. to be an in- kind of a personal thing and now you're yeah. putting it in front of other people to kind of make it a public thing? I mean, was there kind of like, kind of like, mm, I don't know if do I want to do this? Was there doubts when you went first down the kind of the playtesting kind of stage? I think I, I was in a, a weird position because... And I look back on my history and all the things I've done because mm. I, I had been through the the Kickstarter process, which that is taken to the extreme, right? Like taking this thing you care about and love and putting it like literally mm. in front of people and asking for money. Mm. Uh, and and I'd also done a lot of um, posting, like writing articles and posting stuff online, so. Fiction. I, I'd actually been going to um, meetups for fiction writing and like showing my work to people for for years and years. So for this, I, I was in a really uh, lucky position for bringing the game and playtesting because I'd already been doing this for so many years, like putting my my heart and my work in front of people. That at that at that point, it was already kind of natural. So. For me, I didn't really feel at that point, like that was 10 or 15 years ago when I started putting stuff out there, like I'd gotten rid of all those nerves like years ago. So by this point, I was kind of like, I'm just, I want to make it better. Like I want to make something that will make people happy. And that, that helps a little bit too. That's like, I don't have a ton of ego about it because, you know, I I care, I immediately look at a person, are they happy? Are they having fun? Are they laughing? And if they're not, then I want to get them to a place where they they will be happy and, like, having fun and laughing. And so it's, like, less about me and more about, like, the other people and the experiences that they're having. I mean, that went on to become um, heart catchers, mm-hmm. I, I'm guessing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, surprise. That's a good guess. Good research. Not got website <laughs> open right now, um, <laughs> but um, I mean, was it was it kind of? Str- I mean, is it strange to kind of like that's a strange kind of journey to go down? Mm. Usually, what happens is somebody actually has like a game in front of them or a game idea in their mind, and they're saying, "Right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm taking it to kind of the commercial level, kind of straight away." I mean, what was the commercial journey with kind of like heart catchers? Did you go down the Kickstarter route with that as well, or did you go and get it published? I mean, how did you get it in front of people? So the 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 publishing journey for it was also weird and serendipitous. For the the game design group that I was going to, one of the members who would host pretty often actually is Tim Rodriguez who's awesome dude. He's um, done a lot of storytelling RPG stuff, but also has published games of his own. And I set up a coffee meeting with him 
just to discuss the game, you know, because I was like, mm-hmm. you know, and get some feedback, like figure out what I should do, kind of pick his brain. And so we met for coffee, and I was showing him the game, and he was kind of <laughs> like holding back a little bit. I'm like, yeah. So what do you think? He's like, yeah, this mm-hmm. is this is actually pretty good. I'm like. That's great. Yeah, cool. You know, like, I'm excited about it. He's like, so, uh, what are you going to do with the game? I'm like, well, mm-hmm. a kickstart maybe? I don't know. This is my first time. He's like, would you, uh, are you so, uh, like, interested in a publisher? Just really sort of cagey, right? I'm like. <laughs> Could I ask him kind of what you want from the menu? And he's like, do you like cheese? Cheese <laughs> thing? Yeah. <laughs> do you like strawberries maybe? Is yeah. That, yeah. Is that is that a kind of thing as well? And you're just like going, what are you doing? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, how could I have ever even thought of a publisher? Like, this is my first game. Like, no publisher. Mm. What? I'm like, just like, what? What? He's like, yeah, because, um, like, I don't want you to think that I'm trying to steal your game or anything, but I'd be interested in publishing it. <laughs> and I was just like, what? 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 Did what? you like pick, <laughs> throw something at him? I would have done that. I would have been like that. <laughs> well, Go to be fair, I, I mean, I think a lot of people, it, it, a lot of people in the industry, he, people care. It's like, like you said, their baby. Like, they, if someone had asked to publish a thing, be like, "Wait, you're trying to steal? This is my game. I want to do this." But yeah. I was like, I was like, "Oh my gosh, no! Yes, I want a publisher. Sure, take it." <laughs> but I remember um, Carla Cop. Um, mm. Yeah, she was kind of like trying to drop these uh, these really subtle, these really really subtle hints to oh, Tony yeah. Miller that she kind of liked the game, <laughs> and yeah. Tony and to, and and, uh, and, uh, and then obviously Tony's like, well, thanks very much for telling me you would like to publish my game, and then she's like, no, no, I, I kind of want to really publish your game, and went, oh, okay, so <laughs> yeah, but is it a kind of shock because you don't um, if you're designing a game. And there's, you know, there's not many kind of, and here's your, there are, you, you get people that will say, well, I'm going to go ahead and pitch to a publisher. Mm-hmm. And there's little kind of exactly how to engage with pitching with a publisher. And I always think that's something that maybe gets kind of missed out sometimes is that people, there's an awful lot of um, information and diaries and, and stuff like that about your Kickstarter journeys. And I think a lot of people make their Kickstarter journeys quite public mm-hmm. and I think there's there's the kind of the whole this is how you deal with a publisher kind of thing is it maybe a little bit thing that's I don't know maybe it's because is it is it maybe because publishing or chasing that publishing deal isn't a crowd kind of funding thing is that kickstarter you're kind of encouraged to share every single thing that you've done on the journey whereas I guess if you're just publishing is maybe more like a business kind of transaction I guess I don't know yeah, I, I I guess so. I think people are weirdly um, reticent about even considering or looking into publishers. I, I think people have a lot of assumptions about what that process is like. And mm-hmm. probably, too, if you've paid... Because the whole um, book publication journey is more public and people have more of an understanding of that. And that's... Yeah kind of a nightmare and that's why I self-published my my book was because I was looking I was like okay great six months to two years to get an agent and then another six months to two years to get a publisher if I'm extremely lucky so it's 
like years of just rejection and torture and maybe for nothing, right? Um, yeah, and it, yeah, I guess it depends yeah. on your agent as well and what they're like. If they're sitting there going, well, this isn't the next Harry Potter or this isn't the next Hunger Games or this isn't the next, <laughs> you know, Maze Runner or something, you're just going, no, this is my own book. We don't need to yeah. <laughs> copy kind of other other kind of books. I guess um, the board game industry, because it hasn't kind of hit that thing, I guess, because of the production, I guess, the production time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I was speaking to someone quite recently about this, about you'll get you'll get titles which are quite similar, but mm. um, it's not like you'll get a rash of people kind of um, saying, well, worker placement is obviously the sauce of the day. Everybody start making worker placement games. I think what happens is worker placement games get popular. I think it kind of happened with legacy games. I think when Pan- Pandemic oh, yeah. Legacy came out, then people were kind of like, let's... I think people were saying, well, this is it. Everybody's going to be doing legacy games. And so far, I haven't seen any. Like, <laughs> I've seen Seafall. No. <laughs> but there hasn't right, really yeah. been that many. I mean, Charterstone is maybe another example, but we've not all of a sudden been flooded with, like, um, legacy games, which is kind of well, yeah. cool. They they take a little bit of time to come through. Like we have a few more coming down the pipeline. Uh, Betrayal mm-hmm. uh, at House yeah. on the Hill is getting a legacy. Yeah, yeah. But then that's kind of like it's a big investment because you've got to be. Yeah. You're potentially looking at your you're creating an experience with legacy games. I think. Yeah. I think you know with if I'm going to play um, say, you know, my favorite game at the moment, which is Root. I know mm. I'm going to be playing that again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And it's just the mechanics and everything that's going to be making it different. If it was Root Legacy, I'd be starting out with a blank forest. And then I'd mm. be putting in a river somewhere. And then that would be changing the experience. But once I got to the end of the game, I would be finished. I wouldn't be kind of playing it again. Right. I, guess, you know, I guess the closest to that was maybe Charterstone recently. And yeah. um, that kind of came with a big fanfare. But I've not heard many people... I hear people going through the campaign, but I've not heard many people continually kind of talk about it the same way they maybe talk about kind of pan- pandemic legacy. Don't know if that's maybe the, the circles that I'm moving. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think but, Gloomhaven had a little more of, of that, and it had like the the reusable elements to it, so they made it with a legacy component, but then made it very replayable as well. Yeah, I think. Um, but I think. Um, you know, Isaac's included first aid kits and that thing as well, if you dig deep enough. You know, there's a canoe, <laughs> there's a flight inflatable canoe at the bottom of that box. <laughs> oh my gosh, right. Well, <laughs> you know, as well as a secret passage. I'm pretty sure there's a secret passage at the bottom that you can knock and it kind of peels away and takes you into a far off land kind of thing, which is pretty yeah. cool. But, um, I mean, going back to Heart Catcher, so hmm. you're, obviously you're picking up your spoon off the table mm. and reaching over and smacking him on the head and telling <laughs> him to stop kidding you and tell the truth but um, I mean was that it? Was it that, that simple? Did it just kind of go up publishing from kind of there then? Um <laughs> No <laughs> I so I think working with publishers is great and especially this day and age where if you want to kind of quote unquote make it as a tabletop game designer 
You really mm-hmm. just have to get so much stuff out there, and it's pretty much impossible if you're just doing your own stuff and doing your own Kickstarters, so you can really mm-hmm. multiply your reach by getting different games to different publishers um, and having a bunch of stuff happening at the same time. Yeah. So um, I think it's great. I think everyone should do it. It's it definitely been an experience for me because I like... I have done Kickstarters. I, I I like being in charge of things. I like having control over things. And there's definitely mm-hmm. that moment when you hand it off and you're like, because, you know, you have in, always in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, I could do this myself. I could launch it. These are all the things. These are the people I would talk to if I was doing a Kickstarter. And then all of a sudden it's just gone and you kind of have to trust, you know, there's a lot of relationship and trust at that point for they're going to do it different than you would have done it. Um, and yeah. respecting that and kind of stepping back um, and waiting a lot of time. Well, I remember um, John Gilmore talking about mm. I mean, John Gilmore, obviously, he does design stuff all the time. Mm. And then him kind of saying, well, there's certain games that I'm just going to, you know, there's my ideas and everything like that. And then I go and I pass it off to somebody else and they, they go ahead and they... They do the development work and I still get involved and he says there's a mixture of some games that he <clears throat> tries to stay involved in the process mm-hmm. depending on the agreement that he's got with the publisher and then he's got other games that he kind of pans over the idea and then he gets his copy like everybody else when it's kind of when it's kind of released. You yeah. know, which is always kinda which is always kinda cool. Um did that I mean with Heartcatchers being published, were you um, then, did that spur you on? Did that get the creative stuff kind of going and everything like that? Were you then kind of saying, well, I can definitely kind of do this? Or was it a case of, well, I'm going about to do the, the difficult second album. Where do I mm. go next kind of thing? Uh, definitely more of the, the latter. I was in an interesting position that that really overlapped with me starting to do marketing for a video game company for my full-time job. And that that was, yeah, so I worked for a company called DreamSale Game that was launching its first uh, local multiplayer, which then became online multiplayer uh, Mm -hmm. robot battling game. And I, (laughs) I have this thing may have noticed I like to pour my heart into to things so for this job it was very much it, I was doing marketing and I was basically the head of marketing and like launching this game wow. and it was this team of developers producer artists without any real marketing guidance or drive you know they're making this game they had funding uh-huh. for it and they're like we need to figure out how to sell this we don't know what we're doing <laughs> Uh, so, um, <laughs> yeah, that would have been yeah. a time. <laughs> yeah, so so I came in and obviously like uh, I want to do it right, and yeah. poured a lot of time and energy into it, and really didn't have time. I had time to help with heart catchers, but for development, like that was a year of my life. Um, I guess yeah, about about a year. I was just. It, it was a lot, just so much going on. I really didn't have time or energy to create anything. Uh-huh, and I was uh-huh. also going to a ton of conventions. I went to 15 shows over the course of that year. 
um, both like that's, PAX that's first PAX East, yeah, PAX South, yeah. PAX West. So there's a lot, yeah. And are you being like the face of stuff and then talking to people about it and trying to get them interested? And mm-hmm. I mean, at that point, were you just to the point trying to sell the game? Then is that how it was? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's <laughs> a lot of responsibility because normally. <laughs> I mean, the marketing is really strange because I'm, like, I'm in a... Well, I've done marketing as part mm-hmm. of the podcast because you have to. Yeah. So yeah. you end up learning how to create noise. The sales side of things isn't really part of the podcast because I don't need to, I guess, to persuade people to listen. I don't yeah. go out in the street and grab folk and say, hey, do you like board games? And they say, what, like Monopoly? No. And then, you know, <laughs> plug uh-huh. them in and send them on their way. Yeah, but it's a big there's a big difference between the kind of the, the sales side of things. So did you did you stay in that company for long then, or did you say, well, actually, this is a lot of responsibility because it sounds like an awful lot of responsibility. Yeah, so we we grew pretty quick. I ended up eventually getting a team, uh, and over the course, like I guess. After we launched just before PAX West, I think, of 2016. Um, So I was there for about nine or ten months before the game actually launched. And, Mm -hmm. like, uh, I learned a lot. We did a lot of shows. We got a Discord. We started Twitch streaming. And the game didn't do quite as well as we had hoped it was going to do. You know, it didn't take the world by fire. <laughs> it didn't take the world by storm. Is it, I mean, is that the kind of the, was it the curse of the kind of the 7s out of 10s? Because yeah, oh my gosh, yeah. Video like literally, that was the rating. <laughs> you know, it's kind of yeah. like, I think the 7 out of 10 is the worst rating you can get. Because at least if you get like a 6 out of 10, it's like, well, I know you don't like it. Yeah. But a 7 out of 10 is kind of like, I I can't be bothered really telling you whether I like this game or not so I'm just yeah. going to give it a kind of a middle which is really weird because if I got a 7 out of 10 in an exam mm. I'd be really happy but if mm. I get a 7 out of 10 in my video game score I'm going to be really <laughs> sad because it's just it hits below the kind of the margin in terms of like Metacritic mm. and yeah Metacritic thank you mm. piece of yeah whatever and <laughs> Uh-huh. I used to no, I used to review video games and I kind of oh, okay. yeah and, you know <laughs> and, yeah I know exactly and the you, the, the, the phrases used to come out and it's just like oh well if you're a fan of the genre and you're just mm. like, I don't want to use that phrase ever in my life again <laughs> you know it's like you know yeah it's like my it's like you know it's like my mum in a restaurant with me you know asking do you think she should get the apple pie? And it's like, well, if you're a fan of apple pie, it's something you should consider. But if you don't like apple pie, then maybe you should give it a miss. And I've seen that kind of so many times. But I've also seen mm. that it's like, I've played a lot of 7 out of 10 games. Mm-hmm. And um, I've had a an absolute blast. Yeah. But for other people, it's kind of like the the kind of like the, the death knell. It's like, this is a bad game. It's like, no, it's a 7. You know, yeah. if I gave if I gave you if I gave you a choice of getting you either a hundred dollars or seventy dollars, you'd still be happy <laughs> if I gave you seventy dollars. So right? Why, yeah. Why are you so miserable? So did that then, with the reception and everything like that, did that prompt you to kind of like make a move? Then is that how it kind of panned out? Uh, yeah, I think it was a, a combination of things. Like because Phil, my fiance, and I, we'd. Um, 
we were so we were living in New York City at the time mm. in Manhattan, and there was a number of factors where we were like kind of done with all of that. And he had a bunch of friends living out in Seattle, and we were eyeing very closely uh, <laughs> a move out here. Uh, he's a software developer, so obviously he like opens the floodgates on LinkedIn, and he's like, "I'm kind of maybe looking for a job," and it's like. <laughs> it's like oh i want to take you out for coffee i want to take you out for a beer come in like let's let me pick your brain um, that's amazing oh yeah it's nice it's, to be wanted it's nice I to know, be wanted right? doesn't it right? yeah you know, that's so it's cool. yeah it all kind of happened at the same time where he was looking at places out here got an offer from amazon um i was and and i had even like with the company you know things were a little on edge um things felt kind of tough but i was like hey we're gonna move out to seattle i still want to work here and you know maybe we could do a long distance thing and keep doing what i'm doing yeah and they were like well you know we really want to keep it in-house and keep this like because they'd had bad experiences in the past with remote work and no so we parted we parted on good terms you know it just wasn't the it wasn't working out for like me going long distance and I was like, I was sad. I I definitely miss all the people I used to work with, but it was also creatively and energy wise, like a new world. Right. Cause it's like, Oh my gosh, I'm not going to have a job for a little while. And I'm going to have time to like, think about what I want to do with my life. So that was, uh, scary, (laughs) cool, scary, intense, a lot. Because you have a timetable, and you're like, well, half six, mm. half mm. six, I am drying my hair. If mm. I'm not drying my hair at half past six, the world is about to end. If I'm yeah. drying my hair at 20 past six, everything is fine. Yeah. If I'm drying my hair at seven o'clock, I have slept in, and the world <laughs> is on fire. Kind of yes, <laughs> right. So did that, did that, was that kind of like then you were moving into kind of the discussion side, the kind of the blog stuff, the kind of the advisory side, the panel side, is that where is that where you kind of where you went with next then? Uh I think I actually because I at that point I'd been away from my own stuff. Like I hadn't really been sharing mm. or tweeting or anything for a long time. So I I took a step back, really, instead of just mm-hmm. leaping right into it and even considering at that point, I wasn't even sure that games was what I wanted to do. I was very lost and kind of unmoored at that point because, you know, new moved across the country, new city, new state. Uh, I, I was maybe I should get another marketing job, work for one of the big video game companies. You know, Xbox is out here. There's mm-hmm. kind of a lot of stuff swirling around in my head. And what really helped me at that point was... Um, And what eventually became Game Design Daily was looking at a lot of daily practices, kind of um, focusing on self-discovery of like meditation and journaling and exercise and coming back Mm -hmm. and trying to really identify what my next step should be. And did that, I mean, you sound kind of naturally kind of fairly kind of creative person. That mm. if you know, if I kind of left you in the room with like a couple of pieces of A4 paper and 
some felt tips. Mm-hmm. And if I said the worst thing I could possibly say to you would be, don't you put a mark on oh, God. the paper. <laughs> you know, and then if I went out and I said, I'll be back in 30 minutes and actually mm-hmm. came back in 47 minutes, mm-hmm. you would be <laughs> climbing the walls kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so did that did that kind of get you back into the game design side of things then? Oh yeah, for sure. That was, I had to work through a little bit of block, uh, <clears throat> blockage and kind of getting a sense of work up my confidence a bit because I had been out of the game. I was like, do I still know how to make games? Like, how do I even, what is this piece of paper? What, which way is up? You know, <laughs> getting back into how creation and creativity worked. But yeah, very quickly it got to a point where, because um, I had Confabula Rasa, which is one of the games I'm working on right now, I had actually yeah. made that during this whole um, time in New York City and put it aside. And now I was coming back, I was like, oh man, I don't even know what this is anymore. I, <laughs> How do I even move forward? But yeah, with having that, that time and space, I was, and, and then starting the game design daily to really jump charge and build up my confidence again um kind of the that the floodgates opened i started doing the prototype a day for a week exercises like started working on confabulasa and other games and yeah that's the, the rest is history mm-hmm. so where i mean where are you kind of now with things i mean if you know what's what's the kind of for people who I mean, I've seen you about on Twitter an awful lot, and mm. kind of people have seen them. So, well, if they rock up at your door, what are they expecting to find when you're when when they sit down at your at your table? Mm. <laughs> I guess that's such a bad analogy, but <laughs> I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what what kind of I mean, what what are you putting kind of out? Because as you say, you mentioned kind of like you're doing panels. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you, I mean? Is that just pick a topic and run with it? I mean, is there stuff that you kind of specialize in? Do you talk about kind of like the game design, kind of the various aspects of it, or I mean, do you just go in and are you just kind of like are you find you're kind of covering more and more stuff as kind mm-hmm. of time goes on? Well, my passion is really uh, getting other people into game design and helping mm. new people. <laughs> unlock their potential. I realize as I say that, that it sounds <laughs> like, <laughs> like motivational speaker. I'm going to unlock your potential, but I, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Well, That's fine. No, you have, you know, I'm just, I'm expecting a kind of a toll free number you can call to kind right? of like do- donate now. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> Only 99 cents a minute. Uh, yeah. but you, Ever since I was doing the community management back in New York City, like, mm. I just, people would come up, they'd be like a lot of students, a lot of first timers, they just, they would have this excitement in them, but also hesitation and fear. They're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to start. And I would be like, well, just start, you know, just because to me, it, like you said, it feels so natural, like just make something just write on a piece of paper, just crumpled piece of paper, throw some dice. Yeah. And they're like, okay. But you, you could see in their eyes that it it's still didn't quite make sense to them how to actually start. And 
that's really my big thing is like those people who aren't sure how to start, the people who started and feel stuck, you know, there's so many people out there with passion and excitement and the potential to make really cool things. And I think there's a lot of just fear and hesitation and uncertainty and I, it makes me really sad, you know, to see these people in any way stuck and I just, I want to help them, you know, I want to get them over that barrier to see that, that they can do it. And it's not as scary as maybe they think it is. It's about, I think it's, there's two things that I see. Hmm. There's the people, there's people that have a vision Mm -hmm. and they stick with that vision. And people like say, um, Frank West, City of Kings, who, um, Hmm. he's, he's an inspiration because there is a guy who, who went straight in and said, I'm going to deliver um, a board game which is the size of a small car. Um, mm. And that's what he did with City of Kings, and he kept his he kept his kind of vision. And then you, there are other gamers who, you know, other game designers who are quite easy to be quite floaty with their designs, mm-hmm. and they'll just grab something and they'll just run with it, like um, Andrew Burkett at Aetherius Games. And we had some mm. amazing conversations, and he's like, he has, he's had games about, you know... Um, He's had like mutant vegetable games. He's had a game about neighbours. He's had a game about his last one was like supernatural socks. <laughs> you know, about oh, good nice. socks. And, yeah. You know, and it's kind of like he's the kind of guy that would take, you know, you'd give him a piece of paper, you would come back and he would have probably redecorated the entire room with these kind of <laughs> plethora of ideas that he has. Um, do you think that people can get trapped into a vision? too easily do you think that they can decide that or do you think and and the or the other side of it is do you think people are looking for like the next kind of big thing like Mm. the next kind of maybe terraforming mars or Hmm. or gloomhaven do you see that on your travels you see people that are they're not necessarily looking for the game they're looking for the next kind of big big thing yeah and I would say, because people are so used to, and new designers in particular, are used to seeing the finished product, and Mm. it's hard, and it takes a lot of work to get there. So they have this vision, and I was actually talking with someone after one of my panels about just this. He's like, yeah, I've got this this idea that I'm working on, and I'm like, okay, just... Hmm. Make the game. (laughs) Prototype the game. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah. But I mean, if I like sent you my document or something, could you look over? I'm like, that's not, that's not the game. And so many people, like, they want to write out all of their ideas. They, I've had people send me, like, a spreadsheet with a breakdown of their character types and the powers mm. that each character has. I'm like, that's, mm. that's, not, that's not a game. And, like, I can't tell you if that's a good game or a bad game. The only way that anyone can tell you anything about it is if you make it and play it with them. And I think people have this... They want to build a world. They have like um, this, like you said, grand vision. And mm-hmm. who is it? Uh, Ira Glass has a great uh, quote about this that was turned into a YouTube video, where it's when you start out, your taste is way higher than your ability. So you yeah. have like this taste and this like vision that you want to reach, but you suck at making things. And for a lot of people, just yeah. getting over that hump of like you gotta work at it to get better at making things before you can achieve that thing and I think that's where a lot of people get stuck yeah yeah I also think that some people kind of I've got a phrase that I use 
um, all the time um, in my job job, hmm. which is um, I kind of do consultancy for kind of marketplaces hmm. like your Amazons and your Ebay. So I've got a phrase called being too close to the coalface, hmm. which is where somebody spends so much time with a product or an idea that they jump from stage one to stage seven Mm -hmm. and they find it difficult to explain. They lose everybody because they're unable to explain stages two to six to people. So they'll say, well, this is this mechanic. And it's like, I don't know what you mean by that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, it's obvious you have to do this, this and this. And it's like, I still kind of don't know what you mean. And it leads to frustration. Yeah. And then it leads to this thing, which is... um, People talk about bad rule books <laughs> and bad rule guidance and stuff like that. And mm. that's a real kind of thing, um, I think, at the moment, is that um, is getting the ability to take, to explain things kind of really, really well, mm. which I'm kind of, I'm really interested in kind of doing. I kind of, I've, I've been kind of um, toying around with it quite recently and it's something that's quite kind of interesting to me. Mm. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of cool. Um, I mean, do you, you know, as, I mean, can anybody contact you in terms for advice or, I mean, do you offer kind of like, have you stepped over the line to start offering kind of like services to people? So if somebody wants to actually engage and say, could you work with me kind of hmm. thing, is that something that you're you're kind of doing right now or toying with or, or have done? Uh, it's definitely on my roadmap. <laughs> <laughs> to use a overused startup oh term, my word. <laughs> right? I come from the startup world. I don't really want. Yeah, no, I'm using that startup yeah. bingo card here. <laughs> yes, check. I've got, a, I've got a line. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's definitely my vision for it. And I think too, um, this is my passion, and I've always wanted to make things, but also. Like, I'm very interested in business and marketing, and mm. I want to build my own businesses in, in addition to just, you know, building games. And mm. I know in this industry, it is very hard to make it just purely making and selling games. So I'm very excited and passionate about um, all the other adjacent things I could do as well. So, like, just writing, you know, writing about game design daily. Um, my One of my designers from my group and I are working on a game design Lee workbook that's like a whole 30 for game design. Wow. It's like game design daily every day for a month. So it'll be something, uh, a workbook someone can actually work through to get their uh-huh. creative juices flowing. Um, and a bunch of I, I, ideas floating around as far as consultancy and contracting goes. I think for me, the big thing is it's so easy, especially in a creative industry, to <laughs> fall into that trap of helping people. And people be like, oh, you know, I, I want to work on this project. You yeah. know, a lot of times I don't have a lot of money. Maybe we can, like, if you can just give me some ideas, if I can pick your brain. Really, one of the trickiest part of becoming a, a consultant or contractor or working with people is finding that right balance of time for money. Honestly, just like, how do you make it like our time is so limited? Uh, how do you make it valuable for all the people involved? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I see Brittany Bow has just got a, mm. a pin tweet is just, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to give you advice. 
Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly. You can, you can pay me for my time, yeah. but I ain't just going to give you advice and I think it's going to get in that. I think it's going to get in that balance. I think, um, mm. but it's also starting off as well because mm. at the beginning, people are going to go, well, why should I pay you anyway? And it's like, well, I've got lots and lots of experiences as well. Show me. And yeah. then you're kind of like, well, I want you to give me some money to yeah. show you my yeah. wares. But it's kind of interesting. Um, if people want to, if they've listened tonight and um, they should be instantly dashing <laughs> to to your website. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they've listened all tonight and if they want to find out more about yourself, how do they find you on the internet? And the internet, web, wet, net. There's web. internets. The interwebs. <laughs> yes. Something uh, like that. I, I make myself pretty easy to find. My website is emmalarkins.com. My Twitter and Instagram are also Emma Larkins, and on Twitter especially, I'm very accessible. If you ask me a question or say hi on that, I'll, I'll usually respond. Again, I might not read over your entire game design document, but I'm happy to, if you're just getting started or want to make a design group in your area or that kind of thing, Like I'm very excited to help people out with that. Awesome. So, um... But as usual, we'll put all the links in the show notes. So we've got notes to show. Um, uh, I'm going to ask you back on again, I think. I think we could talk talk again and again and again for hours. Lots of different topics, um, you know. Yeah, oh my gosh, (laughs) Um, yes. That would be, yeah, we could just like, yeah, because this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we are up to, um, you know where we are. I'm just going to say that. You know where we are. There's links in the show notes. <laughs> you know how to find us. It's, you know how to find us. You know, mm-hmm. go to the Google, go to the Googles or Bing. Apparently Yahoo is still quite big in America. Um, really? But you can find, yeah, apparently. But why? I don't know. Because it's like, <laughs> maybe it's like Yeehaw. Yeah, <laughs> that's incredibly terrible thing to say. <laughs> Just probably dropped all the listeners. Um, but as we say, go to the Googles, um, mm. search, search for us. You will find us. Um, if you like us very, very much, then go to um, the Apple iPodcast thingy and uh, drop us a rating or a review. And as we say. Uh, don't give us 10 stars because I just, I'm so egotistical, it's ridiculous, and I'll just use this as a further excuse to kind of make myself feel good about myself. But don't give me one star because it does make us cry, and I am an ugly crier. But give us five because it's in the middle and it's average, and we're a bit average. But the person who's not been average tonight is the rather wonderful, rather fantastic Emma Larkins. Yeah! Woo! And there's only two more things to do. First thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Emma? I mean, okay, so I listened to your podcast a little bit. I'll, I'll not to stir, stir, stroke your ego too much, but is this this is the part where I'm supposed to to get the goat right and like rib you about actually being a wizard? You can there. <laughs> I mean. It's been pretty magical, so... Right, okay. I can... Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Every single one. <laughs> and the second thing is to say goodbye, so it's a goodbye from Emma. Say goodbye, Emma. Goodbye.
quicker than that. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm really joking. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. And it's it's a goodbye from me. Remember, uh, stay safe. Rollsixes.com and um, go check out Emma Sigurd. It's fantastic. It's good some some good reading in there and uh, blogs. And if you ever see her on a panel, go and see her because it's all exceptionally interesting stuff. But until the next time, well, my throat's going. You can hear that, eh? Mm. <laughs> Getting a bit basic. Um, <coughs> till the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to.